you know, I grew up in Holland. Uh, my family had a, a dairy farm, but I, my older brother, he took over the family farm, and there was no room for two incomes after the quota system came in in Europe. So I had to go do something different. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Are big dairy farms bad? It's been kind of a controversial issue for some people. And so I wanted to talk with someone who runs a big dairy farm. He's also someone who has run a small dairy farm and not just in the United States. Case Vandermeulen, his dairy is Cooley Flats Dairy in Mesa, Washington. And he grew up in the Netherlands. This week, he shares his story with us of growing up in Europe on a small family dairy, coming to the U.S. then and starting his own small dairy, and then growing it over the years to a large dairy. We'll find out exactly how he runs his operation, and he gets into a lot of the specific details of how he manages the cows and you know his employees that keep this whole thing working. Fascinating conversation, a lot of cool stuff. Thank you for joining us this week. I'm Dylan Honkoop. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast, documenting my continuing journeys around Washington State to get to know the real people producing food here. Why are you so passionate about producing food for people and and producing milk and dairy products? Well... Uh, because that's what I grew up in. Uh, you know, I grew up in Holland. Uh, my family had a, a dairy farm, but I, my oldest, older brother, oldest, he took over the family farm, and there was no room for two incomes after the quota system came in in Europe. So I had to go do something different. I went on a couple of exchange programs, once to Canada and once to uh washington on the west side and then after a couple of years later after i come back i decided you know i'm going to move move to the u.s permanently because that's always interested me so i went and uh, worked in california for a couple two and a half years mm. and then started a little dairy farm in grandview washington and well it's kind of a dedication i guess it's just i love it and once I got going, it's like, why not, you know, just keep going and, and, uh, and, uh, and because I love it. What do you, what do you love about it? What, what's it like being a dairy farmer and, and what are the things that you really love? Um, you know, uh, the growing part and, uh, building, you know, building a system that works really well for, treating cows well and treating employees well and so all the pieces pieces fall in place and you know it never goes by itself but it's just like you know you're building something and it turns out nice and you're proud so then you go on to the next thing because it feels good and you know uh, second we have a you know, uh, a a really we produce a really good wholesome food uh, from products that the cows can eat and digest, mm. but we humans won't be able to to uh, to digest. So, you know, 
cows is definitely uh, uh, what they call upcycling. Yeah. So that's that really really feels good. So talk about how your dairy works. Explain. I mean, you've created in a way. It has to be a system because there's a lot of people involved, animals, fields, all this stuff to has to work together to have milk come out of here at the end of the day. How does it work? Well, it works. Start off. Most important one: take care of the cows. Mm. When you know, there's the old saying: if saying if if you take care of the cows, they'll take care of you, and mm. Because they're, those ladies are kind of like athletes. You know, they produce a lot of milk, and we got to keep them comfortable. And when you keep them comfortable, then they will flourish, just like humans or all other living beings. Keep them comfortable. How can you tell if a cow is comfortable? When you see her laying out there, chewing her cud, uh, or, you know, just kind of grunting, uh, that is just kind of the <laughs> kind of kind of a sign that a cow is really comfortable. So you know, a cow should be doing three things: one of three things: eat, lay down, chew, or cud, or being milked in the parlor, delivering her payload, so to speak, if you want to call it that way. <laughs> and so it all revolves around the cows. So. You know, cows are creatures of habit, so they like to have everything the same every day, a little bit like humans. and um, Creatures of routine. Yep, routine. Routine, day in, day out, <laughs> try to make it the same every day. My grandpa was a, a dairy farmer. Actually, both of my grandpas were dairy farmers. But okay. my, my dad's dad, he always said his cows were so stuck on routine that they didn't even like it if you wore a different hat yeah. when he milked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never wear hats, so I, my girls are a little bit short on that, I guess. <laughs> oh, and he was very big on certain music, too. Oh, he, really? he liked to listen to his classic country, okay, especially Hank Williams, while he milked, and uh, he claimed that that's what they liked the Okay, best. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, it's an interaction you know, as far as the systems or whatever you want to call it in the dairy, it's the interaction between uh, people and cows and, you know, everything around it. And obviously it takes a lot of equipment to get a lot of cows fed. So, and of yeah. course, the equipment needs to be in good shape. So a lot of maintenance and repairs. And, and then, obviously, those cows eat a lot of feed. So we need to make sure we have lots of feed on hand. Uh, and all the ingredients um, in the place to make sure that we can make the rations for the cows uh, the same every day. Uh, again, creature of habit. Mm -hmm. She likes it that her food is the same every day. And, you know, there's like 10, 15 different ingredients that we feed to the cows in the rations, and we like them to keep them proportioned the same every day. So what what kinds of things are you feeding them? Well, the f first the forages, those are the, the 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 building blocks so to speak because a rumen needs forage, meaning a forage is a plant-based with fiber. So and the rumen I, being the cow's stomach, the, that's what they need for their to keep the rumen healthy because mm. the rumen actually feeds the cow. Mm. So 
you know, lead the forages, uh, corn silage, alfalfa hay, alfalfa silage, triticale silage, um, and then and then the grains. And like I said earlier, uh, there's a lot of feed that that we are feed to the cows. Those are byproducts of other mm. feeds, so to speak, like soybean meal. You know, that is what's left over after they get the oil out of the soybeans canola meal same thing after they get the oil out of the canola for you know the canola meal we that, that we cook with and cotton seed that's after they take the cotton off the little seed and the seed in, is really really potent because it's got a lot of fat in it mm. and it's high in protein and it's got fiber in it because of some of the length still on the on the seed so the cows like that, those different ingredients? Well, we mix them all together. So it's kind of like we have like big giant blenders where everything goes in and it comes out mixed. So every bite is it the same for every cow mm-hmm. every day. That's the goal. How much do they get to eat? Uh, these cows, they eat over 100 pounds of feed yeah. per day. Is that like something they choose how much they eat? or They can eat as much as they want. We just make sure that it's there when they come eat and they can come and go as they please and then they probably drink a lot of water too and they drink a lot of water probably about 30 to 50 gallons per cow per day somewhere in that range so and that's actually the most important ingredient without it nothing would happen of course so all this stuff that you feed them where does where does that come from the forages, the grains, like you, I guess you talked about some of these byproducts that would probably what otherwise be waste. Correct, correct. Um, and then, but the forages, do you guys grow that? We grow some of those ourselves, and then a lot of uh, a lot of the other, you know, then also a, a bunch of my neighboring row crop farmers. Uh, I'll buy feed from them, or we'll grow it ourselves, and. <clears throat> then harvest it and store it and then feed it the rest of the year. So, you know, that takes a lot of acres to feed all these cows. Yeah. And then the grains, the byproducts I was talking about, they're coming, the dry ones, you know, like soybean meals coming more, more from the Midwest. Canola meal is coming from Canada. Cotton seeds coming from the South or the Southwest. Uh, and they all arrive by train, and then from there they're going to be hauled on trucks going to to the different dairy producers and dairy farms. Uh, and then uh, some of the other byproducts I didn't talk about, like potato waste, that comes from the local potato plants. You know, after they milk, make French French fries, or, or so. So everything is being utilized and being fed to these cows so they have the same feed every day so they can they can they can do their thing so to speak meaning produce lots of milk and and uh, and be comfortable so basically the cows hang out eat and drink and get milked and correct. That's just, correct. Otherwise, correct. they're just chilling out. They're chilling out, and, you know, we milk them three times a day, and then, like, now it's really hot out. We have, uh, 
you know, shade buildings where they can get in the shade. They can get cooled with with sprinklers where they eat. When they come into the parlor, they get they get uh, they get sprinkled, so they get nice and wet. It's just exactly like when you come out of the pool, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the misters are going, and the misters are going, or just out of the pool and you're wet, and yeah. it's it's called the evaporative cooling. Works great. So what what's the milking process? How does that work? Well, the cows, you know, the, all the cows are in groups, and then we bring a whole group into the parlor, and then they get milked. Then they get into the parlor, into where into the milking stalls where they get milked, and then we, you know, disinfect the teats, get them prepared, attach the machine, and then. Uh, after she's done milking, the machine will come off automatically, and then we apply more disinfectant on the on the teats, and then the cows go out and then go back and eat three That's times a, a day. Three times a day, and we're milking twenty four hours a day, and seven days a week. How, and how long does that process take for the cow? How long are they in there being milked? Uh, about ten minutes per 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 side, so to speak. Mm. So we have uh, the milking parlors. The one of them is like. 50 stalls on each side and uh so then if it's 10 minutes uh you know if we do six six turns so to speak then we milk about 100 cows an hour but so they only have to hang out there for 10 15 20 minutes yeah of course you know they're 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 big groups so it takes about 30 40 minutes per group to be yeah about 40 minutes from the time they go into the parlor until that whole pen is done, and they go back. All go back to the to the to the to the corral where they where they can hang out and eat. So at most, the, the actual milking time for a cow in a given day is 30, 45 minutes. When you add up the three milkings, yes. that they're actually having Have, the and that they're milk. actually being milked. That's correct. Wow. Now you know they'll you know the the cows that in the group that go to the parlor first obviously sp- spend the least amount of time in the parlor mm. or in the building so to speak but then uh the ones last the longest of course so you know altogether three times 40 minutes is is uh is two hours basically for the, the cows that uh they're the, the who are milk last out of the group and so that's it and that's it dairy farming in a nutshell and it goes on 24 hours a day seven days a week 52 weeks a year yeah, the cows can't really take a day off per se, other than when they're getting ready to have a calf. Yeah, that's that right? so. So that's correct. So you know the 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 gestation period for a cow is nine months, but pretty much the same as humans. And uh, so, which is kind of interesting, people don't think about this very much. But you know, a, a milk cow is pregnant most of her life because uh, you know. It takes nine months, and then if we'd like to have a calf every year, so that means in a year there's only three months out of the year that she's not pregnant. And uh, so the, the the cycle is so that, you know, calf gets born. It takes about two years to get her full-grown. So at about 13, months of age, 13 to 14 months of age, we breed them for the first time. And then nine months later, they're going to have a cat, their first baby, and that's when her milking career starts. Hmm. And then, you know, within about 
two months after she had her calf, she will be bred again and hopefully get pregnant. So mm -hmm. then she can have another calf 12 months later after she had the first one. And then about 45 days before she's going to have a calf, um, we actually, what we call, we dry her off. So that means we quit, her, quit milking her. And that's her vacation time for a little while. So then she can regenerate and recoup and start for the next cycle. And, you know, that's just kind of how it goes. And every day or so we'll have, you know, 30 to 40 calves a day. What happens to all those calves? What do you do with them? We raise the heifer calves to be, you know, the replacements for the cows because they you know, for the cows that leave the facility because they, you know, at some point in time they are are uh, getting older and, and then they, you know, have to have a change of career, so to speak. They're getting... Mm -hmm. And then the, the the bull calves, they... So heifer calves being the female. Correct. The bulls being that the is, That is correct. That is correct. And the bulls, they, uh, they get picked up, well... Yeah, ours get picked up daily, and then they go to a calf ranch, and they're being raised, and then they're going to go eventually for uh, to a feedlot. So they're beef? For beef. That's, you know, there's two products that we produce is that's basically milk and beef. Um, huh. So then the heifer calves that, you know, the female calves that, that stay here, we'll raise them in... in uh, They'll raise them and we'll have them on milk for two months. And then those calves, uh, after two months, will then, then what we call they get weaned, meaning we don't feed them milk anymore. And then they go in different groups. And then as they get older, they'll get different kind of feeds to optimize their growth for health, for healthy uh, strong uh, bodies and digestive system so they can be good healthy mamas <laughs> for the for the for the next generation so to speak how different is this whole process than when you grew up in Europe um, the basics are the same but it's just the scale is so significantly different mm. You know, at uh, my family farm, they we were milking about 100 cows, and those cows would go in the pasture in the summertime. In the wintertime, they would, you know, be in the par in the barn, so to speak. And we did all the work ourselves. Here, with milking several thousand cows, uh, you know, we have to have a lot of a lot of employees help us. Otherwise, we couldn't get it done. How many employees do you have to uh, make about, it work? About 85 altogether, full-time oh, employees. Wow. And yes. how many cows do you have? We're milking about 7,000 cows. Wow. And then then we those are the milk cows, and then we have another 800 to 1,000, what we call the dry cows, the cows mm -hmm. that are on vacation, so to speak, and then all the replacement heifers, which is you know a good uh, 12,000 or so. So you've lived the small dairy life and now the large dairy life. What's, Correct. 
why why so big? You know, some people say, oh, you know, it's better if a farm is small. What what are the differences in you know having experienced both? Um, actually, there is nothing wrong with big one, big big dairy farms. You know, yeah, it maybe seem doesn't seems not attractive for for some people, I guess. But um, actually, when you are bigger. You can specialize more the jobs, so you know we have guys that just they do nothing but milk mm-hmm. for eight hours a day, and then we have guys that only feed calves, and then we have guys that that only feed the feed the the cows. So they it's very specialized jobs. So therefore, you can really train them, train the guys well, and they can. Uh, do a really really good job instead of if you had to have um let's say milk 200 cows and you have to have two or three employees those three employees needed to do everything and you need to train them on everything so that makes it a lot more difficult plus when you are that that, that does that doesn't only count for the employees but that counts for all systems so you can really really fine-tune things much better and therefore be very, very efficient from a resource perspective. Because, you know, we use a lot of resources, water, feed, uh, um, you know, land, of course, to grow crops, uh, fertilizer. Well, no, not actually fertilizer, but... You know the the manure we use as fertilizer mm-hmm. because you know we utilize everything. We don't waste nothing. When you were growing up in Europe, what was that like? What was that? I mean, it's totally totally different culture, right? It's and, a very different culture. Yes, in Holland, there's thousands and thousands of 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 of, of smaller dairy farms, and uh, yeah, it's. Not quite for sure how to explain it, but yeah. it's just it's just a different di- different way of life. However, that is changing rapidly. Also, uh, the farmers the farms in in Holland and Europe are getting much bigger. Also, mm. and <clears throat> you know, for whatever reason, uh, you know, our expenses keep going up and up and mm-hmm. up just like everybody experiences around the world right food gets you yeah. know the, the, but the price that we get for the milk and the beef doesn't seem to change all that much not comp- not even close to comparative f- uh from 15 20 years ago mm. so it's would you just need to be more efficient in order in order to stay uh stay value or uh, to stay uh, relevant what are the reasons that farms are getting bigger? And, and is that the same in Europe as here? Absolutely. I don't know really what the reason is, but in order to, you know, well, to to increase efficiency. It's that that's what it comes down to. I mean, that's what our lives as humans today are about, right? We need to do more more things in less time. And, you know, technology helps a lot with that. And, uh, you know, if talking about technology, we have, we use quite a bit of, quite a bit of technology on, on dairy farms today in order to, uh, to uh, do a better, more precise job. 
like um, what we use for the last couple couple of two and a half years now. We actually use uh, um, uh, all the cows wear a uh, basically a Fitbit mm. around their neck, and every cow's being monitored and how active she is every day. It counts steps. Well, it doesn't really count steps, but yeah. it counts activity. Yeah. And if a cow doesn't, you know, gets becomes less active, the system will alert us and try and tell us, hey, there may be something wrong with this cow. Or if she becomes really active, uh, that usually means she's in heat and she's ready to be bred, and then the system will alert us also and tell us, hey, this cow was possibly in heat. You better go check her. And if she is, then we can breed her at the time. Technology. Technology. And the beauty of technology is it works 24 hours a day Mm. to where, you know, if you have people watching cows, they don't work to work for 24 hours a day, right? Mm -hmm. So, and it's just becoming harder and harder to get good, dedicated people. Mm. So it's a challenge sometimes. Yeah, what's the key to... To leading the team like you do here on the farm, having that many employees and making sure that people are on the same page and happy with where they're at. You talked about that being kind of one of the values of the system that you're building is to be good for the employees. Absolutely. You know, uh, it's not, you know, it's the same for all of us. If we don't like our job, we don't like the, the culture or whatever, it's not no fun doing. Uh, it's not fun coming to work, and when it's not fun coming to work, you're not going to do your best. It's as simple as that. So you know we have all different teams, so to speak. Uh, you know we have a, a milking team, we have a calf team, we have a uh, a herds people team. So the herds people are people, the guys who take care of the cows. You know as far as uh, uh, when there's you know, the cows need to be moved from one pen to the other. They need to be bred. They need to be uh, taken care of, just basically general husbandry, animal husbandry. Then we have a feeding team. We have a team in the in the, uh, in the the mechanic shop that takes care of all the, maintains and repairs all the equipment. And, and then we have a, you know, a, a, a equipment team that, you know, Maintains the pins, helps with harvest, uh, all the different things. So, and each team has a leader, obviously. And then we have a office team, and then we have also a, a basically a general manager who, you know, uh, Ricardo. He's uh, he's the operation manager, and he, you know, tries to be keep keep the teams coherent mm-hmm. and working together. It's it's a challenge, but well, when you have that many people, it's always going to be. That's right. right? There's, there's a lot of training going involved, a lot of training involved, meetings, and all this stuff. So, <laughs> and then you know, before bef- bef- before February, uh, we always have uh, once a, once a month we'd we'd have a have a caterer come in and and provide lunch for the whole team and just kind of get together and hang out for an hour and then. Just trying to keep every everybody together on the same team. You said you started the first dairy that was yours was in Grandview. Correct. What 
what was that like and and how did that grow and and how did you end up here in what, Mesa? Well, I started with in Grandview 150 cows doing all the work myself. Uh those were long days, long <laughs> hard days. Uh did that for about a year, year and a half and then I grew a little bit and I got a got one one employee to help help me milk the cows and then couple years later a couple years after that and we moved to a bigger a little bit bigger facility so we went from uh, to about 400 cows mm. and then a few years later we bought another facility and then in 2007 um, we started building this facility and uh, start milking cows in 2008 and it's been been quite a journey yeah kind of fun yeah you know lots of challenges but those are there to be overcome what was the hardest challenge to overcome to to get to where you are now well it's just like everybody else probably but you know the hardest challenges when there's economic when when the economy you know has a downturn and expenses are greater than than income that's always a challenge right so then you got to get creative and try to cut costs and try to do the best you can and well yeah you you, you get through it yeah things are sometimes they're really good and sometimes they're not so good but <laughs> that just happens and you just got to keep going is that the way it was growing up too I, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I know my my parents and my brother. They had some hard times financially, but giving up is just not part of the game, right? Got to keep going. Yeah. What what keeps you going through those hard times? I know people point to different things that kind of just gives them hope, you know, to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, it's hard, hard, hard question to answer. But I guess the fear of failure is probably uh, one of the biggest ones. Uh, and you know, yeah, that's about the best I can, the way I can explain yeah. it, I think. So you said that you were interested in continuing farming, but you couldn't continue with the family farm Correct. in the Netherlands. Correct. Why? How did that work out? What, what was the Well, there? because, because it takes, you know, at that time, 75 cows or so, 75 to 100 cows for, Per family, or takes about that amount of cows to to uh, to maintain from income from a, for for one family. Well, and they were milking, I don't know, 120, 130 cows, and um, then they got a quota system, and everybody had to reduce twenty some percent. Mm. So then that basically was only room for one, and that. You know, and since I, you know, my, my brother was was the was in the partnership with my my dad, and the idea was that I was supposed to take over my dad's half, but then when the the quota system came in, then that kind of my dad my dad actually stepped out of the business at that point in time, mm -hmm. and my brother took it over. And is he still doing it? My brother does. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. He's looking still about a hundred cows. Do you guys swap stories back and forth oh, to kind yeah. of compare? The yeah, we worlds? yeah, absolutely. And you know, he's been here a few times, and uh, yeah, he he likes it, and uh, you know, he's got his son involved now, and he's you know, he's 
hopefully going to take over his his business or his dairy. Yeah. And then we'll see where that goes. What did your dad think of all of it? My dad thought it was, uh, well, obviously, um, he was pretty sad that, uh, you know, there wasn't room for, for both of us on the farm. Mm. So, you know, we could work together. But, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess I had never, I never really, really asked him if, uh, but, but he, you know, like I said, this is what I did, and and yeah. they supported me a hundred percent. So, what was that like coming to America when you first decided you're you're moving there? Exciting, yeah. Uh, you know, when I was in my my early twenties, so you know you have nothing to lose, right? So when you have nothing to lose, it's it's easy, uh, or somewhat easy. Now, once you start building some stuff up and you have something to lose. And then things change a little bit. So, uh, you know, I missed home. Yeah. But I always kept myself plenty busy, so I didn't have too much time to think about or being homesick. Have you been back to the Netherlands oh, much? Well, a few times, yeah. I don't go that often, but, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, probably about 10 times or so, 10 to, 10 to 15 times. Yeah. Talk about your family now. What do you all... What family do you have, and are they involved in in the farm at all? Well, like I said, I, my my oldest brother he took over the family farm, and then I got uh, two other brother, uh, one other brother, and two sisters, but none of them are in farming mm. because there was only room for one on the farm. So, uh, you know, one of them is in the in the her and her husband are in the restaurant business. Then another, my other oldest sister, she's, uh, she, well, she's retired now, but she was, a uh, she did a lot of secretarial work and, and then my other brother, uh, he actually had a little accident and he's mm. somewhat handicapped. Mm. It's kind of, yeah, it was kind of a bad deal. Not kind of, really bad deal. Yeah. Must've been. Yep. Very hard. Yep. What about, you have kids or? I have family? one son. He's just turned 16 last week, so, uh, yeah, what a riot that is. <laughs> Does he work on the farm at all? Yep. As, 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 you know, yeah, ever, ever since uh, the school got closed, he's been yeah. busy busy here at the dairy, trying to keep him busy and trying to keep him out of, out of trouble. Does he like it? I know I, he, I had to work on the farm growing up on a farm. So there were some times I liked it and other times I was oh, like, nah, I don't want to do this farming uh, thing. Yeah, he, <laughs> he does. He does. You know, obviously there's lots of jobs he doesn't like, but I, he says he really wants to become a dairy farmer. So, oh, he does. Yeah. So hopefully, but not going to force him, of course. Yeah. You know, it's all if he wants to or not. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, but it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, uh, it's very, very satisfying to to see him here helping me on the farm. What do you think? Could he do it? Could he take it over? Time will tell. <laughs> Time will tell. Now, I it's interesting to me talking with you, a first generation to America, Dutch person. Yes. My family is, I think, four or more generations removed. But there's all these stereotypes with 
the Dutch and the Dutch farmers, you would have a better perspective on that than me. How much of that is like an American stereotype versus reality? I even I'm thinking about you and your son. Like I'm used to the Dutch dads being pretty hard on their sons and pushing them. You know, you got to work hard and do a good job and. Well, that's no slacking off. Uh, that's probably <laughs> our biggest challenge. <laughs> uh, some days he doesn't like me very much. Yeah, I've been there, <laughs> but uh, uh, on the sun side, yeah. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, as far as stereotypes, I don't know. I mean, you know, on the on the west on the on the western United States, uh, there's a lot of dairy farmers that have have. Are from Dutch heritage, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know really what that means, but apparently the Dutch are pretty good at at, at the dairy business. I think because you know there was a lot of you know there's still a lot of a lot of dairies in Holland. So, yeah. You know. Well, and the the history of dairy farming in the Netherlands goes back. Yeah, I know, don't know how many hundreds hun- and hundreds. hundreds of years. Yes, correct. correct. So that's kind of where it comes from right and then that, it just stays with a culture that, they... that that that's right and you know the a little bit of an in, interesting tidbit uh is that you know holland is a pretty small country yeah the state of washington is five times as big as mm-hmm. little old holland in, in yeah. uh, you know as the netherlands so it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting that uh there's a lot of Dutch all over the world. Yeah. So, with Dutch dairy farmers coming out to the West, you know, I've always heard, well, the, the Dutch came to the U.S. and then they found the you know, West Coast of Washington and Oregon and found that it was very, you know, climate was similar to back home, and and that was certainly the story for my family way back and and over time as they ended up there. But you're here in Eastern Washington. It's hot and it's dry. Very different climate than back home in the Netherlands for you, right? Correct. Does that correct. make it more challenging to do this whole thing? Well, you know, the I, I think you're I think you're right, you know, you're you're spot on that, you know, a lot of the Dutch they liked western Washington, western Oregon because of the climate and and cows flourished there because not too big of a temperature swings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, good feed and pasture and now here in eastern washington you know here uh we're here in the in the columbia basin um you know it does get hot and it does get cold and we do get snow but the good thing about it is we only get seven inches of precipitation here and water is not good for cows not necessarily the cows themselves don't like it, but uh, you know, uh, other organisms really like water. You know, yeah. bacteria and viruses and all that kind of stuff. They need water, and when it's dry, you just have a lot less problems. Plus, you don't have to deal with all the all the rainwater and catch it and uh, right and uh, store it because you know we as dairy farmers or livestock in general, so to speak, we can't. We got to contain all our water. Every mm-hmm. water that comes in contact with manure, we have to contain, store, and then apply it at agronomical rates to our crops. So we don't do any any uh, ground any groundwater contamination and or uh, any runoff going into any kind of a 
any kind of uh, drain ditch or water body or mm -hmm. whatever it is. Very important. So what do you do to prevent things like that? How can you make sure that doesn't happen? I have a facility that is uh, built for it, and, you know, water always runs at the lowest spot, right? <laughs> so we just need to make sure that the lowest spot goes drains into kind of some kind of a storage storage structure and catch it and catch it yeah and actually in eastern washington here that's a good thing because we do need the water for irrigation so that's not a bad thing yeah and the stuff that's in it that could pollute say a stream if applied correctly to a field can actually be a good thing a positive because that's the fertilizer it's the organic Yep. Matter, yeah, right? right here on our farm, we don't hardly buy any commercial fertilizer. We mm -hmm. only use the fertilizer from the manure from the cows. And so, therefore, it's kind of a, not kind of, it is the perfect cycle, right? Because yeah. we're, not, we're not buying any commercial fertilizer, and we're not over-applying any of the nutrients on the ground, and therefore, you know, kind of self-sustaining. How big is sustainability to your operation and your philosophy? Very big. You know, we live here, we work here, we drink the same water, uh, we live in the same environment. Um, if we would pollute, we only pollute our future. So therefore, there is no benefit in polluting, so to speak, if you want to call it that way. So we need to make sure that we continue doing the right thing not only for ourselves but also for future generations and uh, all our neighbors and and friends and family so you know it's a must what's it been like during this pandemic to keep the farm going i know a lot of farms have had challenges how to take care of people how to but keep you know you, you can't it wouldn't be right to just let the cows, you can't stop milking them. We're yep. right to them, and it would probably cause your operation to crumble if you did that for too long. Well, it's, yes, that, that's, inter that's the interesting thing about dairy farmer or having livestock. You know, it's not like a trucking company and said, well, there's no money, and <laughs> I'm just going to park the trucks and send everybody home, and we're done with it. You know, we can't just say, Oh, we're going to quit milking the cows. We're going to quit feeding the cows. That's inhumane. Can't do it. So uh, rain, shine, good economics, bad economics, we have to keep going. Uh, so as far as the, the whole pandemic, uh, we haven't really had too many hiccups. Uh, you know, we're, we're providing all the safety gear, uh, having doing extra cleaning and disinfecting and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, and trying to, to do our best on social distancing, but, uh, yeah, we haven't had too many challenges. So, uh, quite honestly, the lot, you know, from a, from my, my work life hasn't changed all that much mm. pre, uh, COVID versus now. Um, what about your team? How are the workers feeling about all of it? Are they worried? I don't know if they're really worried, but they are, you know, uh, they're aware, 
Mm-hmm. They're very aware and 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 trying to do uh, like I said, we're 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 uh, social distancing and using face masks and providing them and uh, temperature checks and all this stuff. And you know, uh, so far we've had pretty good luck. So, what does the future hold for this operation? Then you keep growing. You do you. Keep doing what you're doing. How long do you see yourself staying in this business? Don't know for sure. It depends a lot on whether my son wants to go take over the farm or not. And we have a few more years yet to do that. I love what I do, so I have no need to quit at this point in time. Um, as far as growing, we'll probably not grow too much more on uh, on this facility because you know all the systems are kind of maximized and then you know like like I was saying earlier you know we're we're kind of self-sustaining if we milked a lot more cows then we would get more nutrients and then we would have to uh, spread our wings more so to speak from uh, you know uh, put those nutrients on more ground and yeah that would be so at this point in time we'll probably just kind of stay where we're at Plus, of course, not of course, but, you know, to where we, uh, in our, our co-op, Derrygold, we can't, you know, we have a, a a base system or a quota system like I was talking about in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can't just start shipping more milk because the, the, the co-op can't really handle much more milk right now. So all of your milk goes to that cooperative? That's correct. We're a mem- I'm a member owner of, the, of, the, of, the, of Derrygold. And uh, yeah, that our milk, our milk is uh, is mostly made goes our our milk uh, gets be used for either uh, uh, cheese or mm. butter powder, sunny side plant. Mm. What's it like being a part of a cooperative? How how does that work? Does that work pretty well as compared to maybe a different model or you know? company uh, yeah, buying your milk um i can't really compare because this is only what the only thing what i've done uh but the, obviously the idea is from a co-op is that you know if you have a have a have a private processor you know the processor would uh, want to try to buy our milk as cheap as possible because uh but it's been pretty good so yeah. you know the whole idea about a by about a cooperative is that the uh, quote-unquote profits that the uh, private handler would make goes in the pockets of the dairy farmers so that's kind of the background of it or the purpose earlier you're saying it's hard to find good workers and correct those are in in short supply what's going on there why why is it hard to find people to to join the team and and what's what is the deal with with employee, I, mean, I hear that so much in farming and all different kinds of farming across the state. There's a worker shortage. Well, I think you know before COVID, our our you know I think the, I think the biggest the biggest uh, reason for that is that you know the econ- the economy was was booming. So I mean, lots of workers need it, and uh, you know we only have so many. So you can try to try to uh, pay more to somebody who works somewhere else and try to recruit them. 
and then you know that operation or whoever were you know they would have to hire somebody else so it's kind of a uh, significantly raised our cost of operation when there's a shortage of people um, uh, I know some some farm worker unions and stuff say wow there's no shortage there's plenty of people here shouldn't be a problem no that's not true that's not true you know i mean there's probably maybe plenty of people but we gotta have qualified people right you gotta have people that that want to know want to want to do a good job and feel good about their job at the end of the day and and we want to be part of the team and um you know some of those some of those organizations feel that we are not treating our employees well or not paying our employees well well i would beg to differ mm. there is not one employee that here on uh, on our facility that makes minimum wage everybody makes more than minimum wage and uh, there is no concern from my perspective uh that that uh that we don't treat people well because mm. we really try to do our best. That doesn't mean that it's always perfect, you know. It doesn't mean there's never any controversies or people are always just happy. No, of course not. But it's a, it's a, we really try hard to get a really good culture on our operation. And uh, if that's it, really what you need. If it's not true, then why are some of the, why are some groups saying that? It's all about money. Uh, I'm not so sure that, you know, uh, labor unions today are really that interested in the well-being of the employees, but more about their own organization and having lots of members and, you know, hmm. uh, it's questionable in my, in my opinion that, you know, like I said, we don't mistreat people like some of those organizations trying to claim they are they have a different interest not quite for sure what but they have a different interest what if you get, reach a point where you can't get enough people to continue on this operation do you see that happening i, mean, uh, I guess some people could say well you know you'd have more people if you you just have to pay more you pay you know pay twenty dollars an hour pay thirty dollars an hour whatever it takes and you well, that's then people that's, will come. That's that is probably true. That is probably true, but that isn't. You know, then uh, high wages is not a uh, guaranteed of that that they're going to do a, for one do a good job or number two. Be happy in their, be happy and satisfied in their working environment. Wages is only a part of an employee's well-being, so to speak. Uh, you know, it's just the same for all of us. We need to feel good about ourselves at the end of the day. Yeah. And um, I'm for sure not convinced that money or dollars at the end of the day makes us feel good. At the, at the end of the day makes us yeah. feel good that's it's it's a it's money is a need but it's mm. not a it's does it doesn't give us satisfaction at the end of the day if we don't like what we do 
no matter how much you get paid. What about the operation and like the business? At what point does that become unsustainable? Well, to pay more. I mean, I would imagine labor costs are a pretty significant part of your overall costs. uh, Absolutely, Um, more than you know. Our our, as far as far as expenses concerned, our costs. You know, feed is our highest highest cost, highest, uh, which is usually about fifty percent of our income, Mm. and then labor is the next highest one, which is you know. Oh, let me see. Probably about 15, 15% plus, and then we have all the other things. So if we increase, if, if the cost of, of, uh, of the labor goes increase significantly, then, uh, then that becomes a real issue. I guess what it comes down to is we still need to be competitive from, from an economic perspective with the rest of the country mm. because, you know, uh, State of Washington has a pretty high minimum wage to begin with. Like I said, it's not like we're paying anybody minimum wage, but if minimum wage goes up, everybody else expects to be also to, be ready yeah. to go up yeah. also, right? So, uh, and we can't, it's, it's just not sustainable keeping, keep going up and up and up uh, for our business because we need to compete you know, my milk's not much different than somebody in Idaho, for example, which has a lower lower wage wage bracket, so to speak. Or, and you know, my milk's the same as as uh, as as the cows in New York or in in Minnesota. So you know, we do we need to be competitive. Otherwise, the dairy industry in Washington over time will be significantly impacted. What's the biggest threat then? Is that like the biggest worry about keeping dairy farming happening here in Washington state? Well, I think so. I think, I think we, it's, it's the, uh, the second biggest, you know, dairy is the second biggest ag uh, sector in the state of Washington, you know, behind apples and, you know, apples, and uh, dairy, they kind of, in years past, kind of swaps back and forth and who's the biggest uh, economic ag sector in the state, depending on where prices are. Um, so we, we are a significant imp- financial impact for the state altogether. Not that financial impact is, is, uh, is, is the most important thing, but we do keep a whole lot of people working. Mm. and getting good wages not only for our the the employees themselves but also all the services around the dairy sector so to speak mm-hmm. you know uh, equipment maintenance uh, parts yeah. uh, f- banking you know financing uh, feed you know the the feed that that we purchase. I mean, there's just a lot of. It's a big economic impact. Yeah, and that's going to become more and more important as we go into what sounds like could be a pretty bad time economically. Here, people are going to be more interested in making sure we keep jobs available for people and people well, able to make an income. Uh, you would sure think so, but that has not seems to. <laughs> 
has not uh, had, it doesn't seem to have an impact just yet as long as mm. as long as uh, the federal government keeps writing everybody checks i guess that's uh, but that's going to have to end at some point in time somebody's got to pay for this yeah and uh, you know we need to go back to work as a country my opinion thanks for sharing your story well thank I, it's, you it's i mean it's a a story that's taking you halfway around the world Correct. Starting in the Netherlands and coming here to Washington State. And it's pretty inspiring what you've been able to do starting just by yourself and growing this this company. It's pretty neat to see. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm obviously very proud of it. Uh, but at the same time, not the only one who did this. So, yeah. uh, you know. If there's a will, there is a way, and uh, a will and persistency will win eventually, in uh, my opinion. How many hours a day do you have invested into doing this? And I would imagine that's seven days a week. Well, yes. <laughs> some some days close. you get a day off. So we, well, I'll get some day. I'll get some days off, uh, but you know, ten to twelve hours a day minimum. Uh, sometimes longer, but you know, as as. Uh, to, to where the, you know, I don't do the day-to-day, everyday work anymore. Uh, my job varies a lot, meaning one, and one day is there's hardly ever a day the same because, you know, we are kind of take care of challenges and planning and and hopefully trying to look a little bit towards the future and see how we can stay relevant in in today's world. Because that's what it's all about, right? We got to stay relevant. Well, thank you for taking time out of that busy schedule, and I hope I didn't make your nope. day that much longer. No, it was great. I I don't mind sharing my story. In fact, I think it's important that we speak up and uh, talk about the good things that dairy and ag in general has to offer the world. Not only here, but all through the world. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. What was fascinating to me about that is what he describes about the actual process that his very large dairy goes through uh, to produce milk, manage the cows, employees, crops. It was very similar and very much in line with what my grandparents did many years ago, running their small family dairies that both of my parents grew up on. So... In a lot of ways, this conversation for me demystified the really large dairy and showed me that it's really what I already understand, just a lot more cows and people involved. So that was reassuring to hear. Thank you for being here on the Real Food, Real People podcast. We really would encourage you to subscribe uh, to make sure you don't miss an episode every week and follow us on social media. Um, And if something in this interests you, share it. Um, It really helps us continue to grow this so we can include more and more people in this conversation about our food system and the people behind our food in Washington. The Real Food, Real People podcast is sponsored in part by Save Family Farming, giving a voice to Washington's farm families. Find them online at savefamilyfarming.org and by Dairy Farmers of Washington, Supporting Washington dairy farmers, connecting consumers to agriculture, and inspiring the desire for local dairy. Find out more at wadairy.org.